Welcome back to the Primetime Power Show with Christina Williams. This is from a woman's perspective. And this evening, we have one of my favorite guests on. We have Miss Sheila Ames. And we're going to talk pretty much about the school year just starting, mm-hmm. right? We're going to talk about the challenges and the opportunities and some um, of the issues that have been uh, plagued by Miss um, Ames' school during those terrific, those horrific times that we had uh, some weeks ago. So, Miss Ames, how are you? She's just smiling and everything. She's such a special person. Before that, I want to give a shout out to her school. I want to give a shout out to all those people that support her in, um, in helping her classroom uh, get designed. I'm not giving no hints or anything. I'm just saying that the bubbles are mine. And so I put the circles up on the wall. So I'm very excited about going in and helping them. But um, and doing the show, I also want to talk about that. I want to talk about how the parents came in um, to help and the parents of the teachers came in to help and that it became a big family thing. So, so why don't we just start Miss Ames on talking about being here today. Well, thank you for having me. I wanted to say happy anniversary to the Primetime Power Show. Yes. Um, It has been a joy to watch you and listen to you um, just take this to the next level. And I'm just thankful that you gave me the opportunity and a platform to be able to speak today. So I do want to give a shout out to my school. It is KIPP. Philadelphia. Yay. Yes, we are at 16th in Cumberland. And I just definitely want to give a shout out to the whole fifth grade academy. We are a new academy this year. So shout out to all of my coworkers at KIPP Preparatory um, Academy. So thank you for having us. Oh, that is so wonderful. I had the, the wonderful opportunity of going in and helping with the classroom and uh, design and was so excited to uh, to see when you um, put the kids up so I could see them in the classroom and you know, I put the desk in, in certain places and they're still, they were sitting in the bed. It's just an exciting time. So I know it was exciting for me and I'm not even in there. I don't even know them. It's just when you walk through the halls, the halls are quiet and dark and you see some teachers in their classrooms and then, and, and seeing that just to prepare for the children to come in, to just come in. I mean, not even, you know, all these, it was just all these cognitive things up, the subjects and what goes into the subject, how you plan to teach the subjects, how they need to always have things visual around them. And because of that, I was concerned about some incidents that happened in, in Philadelphia and it was around your school. And so I was concerned because the children, um, since they are have to have uh, visual learning, they, they look around and they learn from visual things and repetitive things that are repetitive. The thing for me is that that violence was visual. It was publicized. It was um, challenged. And then on top of that, it's repetitive. So it happens often. So talk a little bit about, I know there was two incidences. Uh, talk about those two incidents and then we're going to get on to cha- um, why that is a challenge and an opportunity uh, for your school and for the, um, the students and their parents. So talk a little bit about one, the one the school wasn't open yet. 
but you had just left. So talk about that. That's the one with the police. Uh, so the incident took place maybe about nine and a half blocks away from my school. Um, but it was, like she said, extremely publicized. Oh, yeah. And it was, yes, it was definitely um, a scary thing to take place on, on two aspects. One, because a lot of our kids live in that neighborhood, live in the surrounding areas of our school. So my first thought was like, God, please make sure that these kids are safe and that it didn't affect any of them personally, a dad, a uncle. Like, we don't know all the logistics until it became like world news. Um, and so it was a scary thing. Some of us were already in the schools, like trying to get our classrooms together and all. And, you know, we don't have security and we don't have all of the things that protect us while we're there. We're just there with the mindset. We got to make sure that this school is ready for our babies to come in. And so when we hear things like that and we're in the midst of things like that, immediately we get defensive, but not about ourselves. We get a, a defensive about our families and our kids and, and our students and like those people who live in that neighborhood that support us as teachers. And so um, it was definitely a scary feeling. But for it to be prolonged and prolonged, and now it's on this um, TV network and this radio, and it was like glorified. And, and I don't think people really felt that this is like someone's reality, somebody's life. Somebody deals with this on a daily basis and so how do what do we do when that when those kids come to our school and say yeah miss ames it was down the street from my house or yeah miss ames that was my dad best friend or yeah miss ames i saw the bullet the bullet shells all on the ground as a teacher we're prepared to teach english and, and math and writing and and even some social skills but what do we say to those kids that come in like, I'm scared to go home. I'm scared every time maybe a desk will fall or a chair will fall, and now they're on the ground because they're scared. And so it's not just for us. Um, our first line of defense is always about our kids. Um, and so that issue happened, and, you know, it was a long process. It seemed like forever, um, and then it finally ended, and we tried to pick the pieces up. And then a week later, we're in our classrooms. Kids got dismissed early we have another shooting right outside my window so now we're on our lockdown again and now like we're literally looking out the window watching the police draw chalk lines around the bullet casings and like blocking everything off we can't get home you know we have to make sure that we stay away from the windows and all and it's just like this is work but this is our kids reality and at times I struggle with what am I supposed to do to support these children that have to live with this every day so and so that that is definitely one of the the issues that i said because it people when children learn from uh things being repetitive things happening over and over again and then it becomes the norm mm -hmm. and so i guess my issue is that um while they're attempting to learn those things and we don't even have the opportunity to know what's going on in their homes yet because they're just now coming into uh specifically your class because they're coming from an elementary up to a, a middle school environment and so now we have to deal with things like um puberty <laughs> we have to deal with puberty uh whether they're adults or their children uh that's their thoughts we also have to deal with the community um and a whole and so if you talk to some of them and you talk about um well you know last night 
we heard the helicopters above us. It becomes like a normal thing. Yeah. And so then when we try to deal with this violence issue about how our children are um, uh, prone to be violent or being violent, it's because their environment is violent. And mm-hmm. so how do you teach a child or children? I don't even want this to be just a child. Children. How do we teach children that violence is not the norm? It is uh, it's an abnormal um, thing to happen, and it's a sad thing to happen. And and um, try to explain to them what is going on in terms of their emotional and psychological status because they can't always tell you what's going on. And so it comes out in their behaviors. So talk a little bit about uh, a typical day sitting there trying to help uh, a child that doesn't read well or do or is acting out. How do you find out what they're acting out is coming from? Because it's it's just not their nature just to act out. So it has to be some reason. What what happens? So I think first and foremost, it's about relationships. And so you can be the best academic teacher on the face of the earth. But if you don't build a relationship with kids and families, there's no way that you can tap into any of that. Because what they come in with is the forefront of their mind. They don't have time to be worrying about two plus two divided by six when I don't know if we're going to eat tonight. You know, they came and kicked our door down and took my dad away. You know, they don't they don't process things. So as a teacher, what we need to do is first and foremost, we model the behavior we're looking for. And so if I'm upset, I'm not coming in there kicking chairs and telling people off. I'm coming in there like. I need to have a conversation. I need to talk to someone. Is there anyone that can talk to me because I'm having a bad day? Or I need to go in and get in a safe spot so that I can just breathe and calm myself down. Or maybe I need to take a walk and just get some water and come back and say, you know, thank you for having my back because I was really struggling. And so if I model these behaviors and I model it enough that they'll pick up. You know, research says if you do something consecutively 10 to 14 times, it becomes a habit. So if they constantly see me trying to model the behavior that I'm looking for, it is my hope that they take that every time that they deal with a situation. Now, does it always work? No, but that's where the relationship comes in it. Like, so my kids will spaz out and, and just can't like function and can't get the words to articulate what's wrong and act out. But the relationship came in at, can I talk to you after all of this happened, after they spazzed out and because I didn't counteract what they were doing, And I remained calm, and I said, listen, I know you're struggling. I know you're having a tough time. I'm going to give you like 30 seconds, and I'm going to come back and check on you. That built trust. That showed that I have a relationship and that I care. I value you, and I affirm you who you are, regardless of what you come in with. And that follow-up, when I come back like, okay, I'm back now. What's going on? You ready to talk to me? What do you need? What can I do for you? Not so much, you were wrong. You shouldn't have did it. I don't want to hear it again. You know, all of those things. It's because they get that at home. They get that in the street. But who's going to turn it, turn it around? Like, when you're going through these, these are the alternatives. It's up to us. I can't always depend on somebody at home. I can't depend on neighbors. I can't say that community centers are going to stay open and help them teach that. I have to be the one to jump in and do those things. And so most of the time, parents are very receptive to that. Like, in the beginning, it's like, well, what did you do to my child? But then when they see that the relationship is forming and that I am there and I value this, and I, it's that three-legged stool, you, me, and this child, they're more likely to go ahead and buy into it. And those are the parents that you'll see the complete turnaround. And they'll come and they want to help. And then you'll start to see kids like, 
I can do this. I can handle this. Can I talk to you? Can I get a couple minutes? Can I get a break? And so that's the behavior we want to see. That is so, so, so wonderful. And so, and, and I'm, I'm really hoping that that lasts. Um, and I know that has worked for the uh, previous years that, that you have taught. So those are some of the challenges that we have. There are so many of them uh, that, of course, we can't do it just in one show. But tell me some of the opportunities that the children have. Some of the opportunities that are, are, are happening in our, um, in our schools, not necessarily our public schools, but in mm-hmm. some of the charter schools. Mm-hmm. What are some of the um, opportunities that the children will have or that the community could help establish something for the children to be able to look forward to outside of fifth grade? Because that's all that. Listen, that transition from um, elementary school to middle school mm. is, is horrible because it's adolescence in it. And so the adolescent says, you know, I'm just as grown as you, mm-hmm. but I, when am I supposed to be a child and when am I supposed to be an adult? Mm-hmm. And so, and, and what that means, what does it mean to be an adult and what does it mean to be a child? Because sometimes their vision or version of what that is, is not always the reality. And so I know you have to incorporate that into this reading, writing, and arithmetic or, or whatever it is that we're um, that you're teaching, how you say it now. I know you don't say it like that now. We but, say English yeah. and language arts. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, and so talk a little bit about the opportunities that you see, that your specific class uh, or students in your class um, could obtain. So, um, most recently we had um, some... Um, distinguished people would come the first day of school and welcome my kids back. And so um, I had the opportunity to invite two very special people to me to come and just dress up, shake their hand, let them know I'm here for you. I got your back. I'm here to protect you. You're going to have a great school year. And if nobody told you, we love you. And so that was my pastor, Pastor Troy Davis. I knew like that sound like him. Of New Life <laughs> Kingdom Center. And then it was my husband, Chris Angson. And so I was so thankful for that because um, I called them late at night. Like, listen, I just need you to do this for me. I need you to let these kids know that they are supported. Let these parents know that we're going to keep these babies safe. We're going to do whatever we have to do so that they can get what they need. Not just academically, but just somebody to love on them, right? Um, and because we deal with your child more waking hours than you do. Mm-hmm. And so they remember a lot more from us than they do each day from a parent. And so we want to make sure that we bridge that gap. And so it was a presence out there. It wasn't just my husband and my pastor. It was a presence out there. And it just felt good. The kids came in, they had a little snack, and they was like, somebody shake my hand. Somebody said, have a good job. And I was just like, then our job was done. Some other opportunities is, you know, as teachers, we have lives, we have families and all, but I make it my business to go to volleyball games. I make it my business to, to reach out to football games. I make my business to, to reach out to parents. Hey, how you feeling? I just wanted to check in and make sure you good. You good? Anything I can get for you. Um, we also do things like um, take the children to D.C. for three days and two nights with no parents. Mm-hmm. Wow. And they stay at five-star hotels. And, you know, and we take them to museums and things that they probably would never be had the opportunity to do because of where they live. Right. You know, and so we just ask for support in those areas so that, you know, when we do call like, mom, listen, help us out because this is where we're trying to go. This is the goal and the vision. And we just need you on board to help us along. Now, some parents just can't. And you have to have empathy and compassion to understand, like, I understand what you need me to do. And if they feel like you on their team, you pretty much can have, get 
them to buy in. Um, but we need people in our communities. We pe- we need legislators. We need all of those people to value what it is that we're doing so that these are our future leaders. They can't lead if nobody's showing them how to lead, if nobody's providing opportunities for them. A lot of it comes straight from us and our pockets, and we struggle. So that's why you see the teachers do the donor choose and the GoFundMes and all, because we just need support because we want to give them the best opportunity we can. Our motto at KIPP is to and through. So whether that's college, whether that's technical school, whether that's a job, whether that's the, the service, whatever it is, we, we want to be there for them. I want to ask you a question. You talk and you talk a lot of good, a lot of good stuff, and I love it. But you're emotional feeling um, from seeing all this and stuff. How is your psyche when you got to go home because you got to cook, clean, do all that other stuff? Because you got you play, you you doing the right thing, you doing school teacher thing. But how does it physically, mentally affect you? How do you like void it out when you go home? How do you do it? So, <clears throat> the good thing about it is my between my home and my job is about 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times where I have to go home in silence. There are times when I just have to sit there and just like reevaluate what could I have done better today to make today a little bit better for somebody. Mm-hmm. Where did I drop the ball? What can I do to pick it up? Who can I reach out to? Cause mm-hmm. I'm struggling and it's okay to say I need help. It's okay as a teacher to say, I don't have all the answers. It's okay to say, Please, somebody help me. It's okay to call your mom crying because you are stressed and frustrated because you give all that you can, and it just still seems like not enough. Um, I have an excellent support system. Um, there are people that I definitely can go to and turn to. And then I have a te- what we call a teacher tool bag. And so this is year 12 for me. And so sometimes it's like year one, you like frazzled, like, oh, my God, I don't even know if this is the, the right career for me. Like, I, you know, I can't do this. But then around year five to real seven, and then we get to year 10, you're like, you know what? I've seen this before, and what did I do then? Because if I did it then, I can get it done this time too as well. And so I think the first thing is, being centered with myself, like, mm-hmm. Sheila, calm down. You can't do everything, but what? let's make a plan. What can you do? What are you able to do? Who do you have connection with? Who can you talk to? Who can you reach out to? And then those baby steps create bigger steps. Building good relationships with people, being nice, being kind, working hard. Those things start to, to, to take away some of that stress. Okay. But when it's, when it's situations where one of my babies could have been hurt mm-hmm. or somebody's not eating or like something stressful that I go exact. I, first I go to the source mm-hmm. and then I reach out probably to my mom. Talk me through this. What do I need to do? How can I handle this? What can I say? What can I do a little bit better? And then I try to do it. I, I recognize I, I don't have all the answers and I can't do it all by myself and I'm not perfect, but I strive for it. How does this affect your husband now? Me and my wife sometimes, she's, I say, well, everything will be all right, everything's cool. And sometimes you're like, yeah, thank you. But you really don't want to hear it. you like, it sounds like, yeah, okay, thank you. But, you know, yeah, I had a bad day, you know. I said, you know, I'll, I'll say, well, this too will pass and be all right. And that even alone is the best thing just to leave you alone that you get to your own self and then you come around? Or? Definitely, there's a few minutes that, like, my, my husband and my son don't jump on me as soon as I come in the house. And then there are some times where I just sit in the parking lot until I can get it together because it's not fair to give it to them. But... My husband is sensitive enough to pick up on it like, something, something not right. You okay? What you need? You need some time? Mm-hmm. Can I get you something? And so I'm thankful for that. And then there are some times where I'm just coming in and I'm giving it all to him. And he's like, oh, okay, all right, okay. And then other times, like, Sheila, keep that in the car. Because that's, 
not right now. You are taken away from what this is. And then I have to remember to keep a balance. And so, yeah. Well, what we're going to do, this is a, such a wonderful conversation. But right now, we're going to take a break. Remember, this is the Primetime Power Show. This segment is from a woman's perspective, your host, Christina Williams. I want you to call us on 610-574-0513. If you have any information to share with us or any questions, we're looking forward to hearing from you. See you on the other side. Well, guess what? Time flies when you're in great discussion. And so I am so sorry that we didn't get anyone to give us a call, but I want you to write this number down, 610-574-0513. You still have the opportunity to send us some of your information on our uh, website or on um, email or Facebook. So we look forward to seeing you again next week. So from Christina Williams and from this segment, from a woman's perspective, from Mrs. Ames, thank you very much for coming and sharing your emotional uh, and passion with us. Earthquake, thank you so much for uh, intervening and thank you for our great producer that kind of streamlined us into live uh, radio. So right now, we're going to come back um, to say our final uh, goodbyes to you and our final congratulations to each of us yes. as we celebrate our fifth anniversary.